Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Angela Breidenbach, and this is part of our writer series. And for those of you that are interested, we have 10 other hours on CoachTalkRadioShow.com. We also go to Toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com, where you can find us on iTunes for this and other great episodes that really dig deep into being the best uh, novelist, writer, journalist, whatever it is you know you can be. And these tips that we're talking about transcend not only the writer series but anybody who's out there uh, working either from home or working for a company because a lot of these things really make a difference in our lives overall and we're so pleased Angela and I to bring these to you. Angela why don't you introduce yourself for our guests today who haven't uh, met you yet. Hi my name is Angela Breidenbach. I am the president of the Christian Authors Network. I am a historical and contemporary romance author. I've also written nonfiction articles, journals, devotions, what have you. And I am mom to six for mine to his and we also have a passel of grandchildren. I live in Montana and I love to speak and travel and experience the world. That's one of my favorite things to do. I have two little miniature ponies and a kitty cat named Muse. And he prefers to be called a feline. And so we have feline fun on Facebook quite often with just little snippets that conversations that he and I do just to entertain people. And in the process of doing all of this, I met a really, really dear friend who has given me the footsteps to follow in my career. I have so much admiration and love for her. And her name is Tracy Peterson. And that's T-R-A-C-I-E, if you don't know. But she has written... Over a hundred books, and that—that ah, uh, <laughs> that was the the audience going wild. <laughs> but she is a best-selling, uh, award-winning author. And when I talked to her to invite her on the show, I I knew that she was over a hundred. I said, "Well, what are you up to?" And she said, mm, "Closer to one hundred and twelve." And I'm like, "Oh, I want to do that. Um, I love having somebody to follow like that." And her work in historical romance has garnered her the best Western romance author of 2013 by True West Magazine. She was given the Lifetime Achievement Award from American Christian Fiction Writers, and we've talked about organizations in past shows, so you got to go learn a little bit about that. But she was given that Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011, and the Career Achievement Award in 2007 from Romantic Times, as well as multiple Best Book Awards. She's somebody I highly admire and love dearly. Please welcome Tracy Peterson. Well, thank you, Angie. That was quite the intro. (laughs) Aren't you tired I, just listening to all your accolades and all your books that make you go great. like, oh, how did I do all this? How did you do all this? Before we get on topic, I'm just curious. Contest winner, I went to your website. I was like, oh, my God, this is the official site, too. It's not just the Tracy Peterson website. It's the official <laughs> website for you. You accomplished a lot. Are there, like, three of you secretly, your triplets, and we only know you as one person? Sometimes I think there are, but, you know, I'm just, I'm, I've always been a highly motivated individual. And before I ever got published, I was already socking away story ideas. And so when it came time to actually start putting these together, I had a lot of ideas ready to go. But, you know, like any other job, it's one that I show up to every day. And 
just you have to put your seat, you know, you have to put your seat in the seat and your hands on the typewriter and go to town. And so um, that's it's just all about the discipline. It is. It's about the discipline and it's about the goal oriented um, personality too, because you hear about people all the time that say, Oh, I, I want to write a book. And I want to hear, I want you to hear a couple things in that. You hear people all the time say, I want to write a, <laughs> but yeah. when you're talking to somebody who's written multiple books or is a multi-published author, you know, all that kind of thing. What you are hearing them say is I have a myriad of stories in my head and I sit down and write those stories. Wouldn't you say that's true? Very much so. Absolutely. And so well, I just for- want to jump in here and read your favorite verse from your website because it's one of my favorite ones. And it's from Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wow, if that's not you like all the ups and downs in your careers that you must have had um, over time, Tracy. And to put that quote on your site is just really powerful. It's always been really powerful for me, too. I know people that will say, you know, um, this is my life verse or that's my life verse or whatever. This is just one verse of, you know, so many that mean a lot to me. But it just is a constant reminder that I can have courage, strength, move on, move forward with the Lord. And it just encourages me every day. I think so. I think you have to have something that gives you um, both those, you know, oh, I hate to say (laughs) roots and wings, but truthfully, you have to be rooted in something that comes out of you into your writing, and then you have to fly with it. And I think that having something like a life verse or um, a, a way to understand where your voice is coming from and what you're doing is also very important to what you're writing. It is for me, especially because my writing is a ministry. I've always wanted to serve God in some capacity. And when writing came along, it just was the best of all worlds. I can travel. I can work with my husband, who's a historian. And I can meet people and minister and get paid for it all at the same time. It's really great. (laughs) I have to tell something about your husband, the historian. who His name is Jim, and I love Jim Peterson very much, as much as I love Tracy. They're just a wonderful couple. Um, So my husband and I went and did the the bike trail, which is um, the Hiawatha, a few years back. And on the Hiawatha, because Jim's a historian, he had a quote up that he didn't even know about. It was on the sign on the Hiawatha Trail that – Thousands and thousands of people ride their bikes on this um, 16-and-a-half-mile trail between Montana and Idaho all the time every summer, mountain bike trail. And it, it was a quote from him from an article he wrote for a magazine that was about the Hiawatha. And so it was really, really funny. But the, the curious thing for me was actually going, I know that person. So I, of course, took a picture and texted Jim and Tracy. <laughs> That's always fun. You have to find stuff somewhere where you don't know it. Or to get texts from Angie. (laughs) Both. I love getting texts from Angie. (laughs) So tell us something um, about how you started as a writer, how you learned the craft. Because then I think you want to go into how do you write excellent craft, the art of the writing craft. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I've always loved stories. I. From the time I was very small, my mother 
out of desperation to keep me quiet in church, would give me pencil paper and tell me to write her a story. And I credit her with developing the storyteller in me because after church, she would always ask me to tell her my story. And that just really developed in me a love of storytelling. It got me attention, for one thing, <laughs> and also got me approval. And so I think that that's in the heart of a lot of writers. They want to share what they know. They want approval. They want recognition. You know, there's just a little bit of everything. I think that uh, I often joke about that when God created writers, he created this group of super um imaginative people who were the most insecure in the world and put them all together. But I've, <laughs> I've just always loved story. And since I was very young, I learned to read early and I read a lot of books. And even when I was under the age of 10, I was constantly nagging to go to the library and get books. And I read everything under the sun and I think that there, you know, you go back to that saying about good writers are good readers. And for me, that's where it starts. It starts with the reading, not just nonfiction so that you get your story facts right, but fiction also. And I read all over the board. I read uh, mysteries. I read military. I read love stories. I read westerns. It doesn't matter. I try to read a little bit of everything because I think that gives me a better understanding of what's out there and what the audiences are looking for. I think it also helps um, when you're writing your characters, because if you don't understand um, someone else's point of view, it's very difficult to write a character with a point of view that you've never experienced. And we can often experience that through reading. It totally is. And for me, I'm known for my accuracy. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes, <clears throat> but I'm known for my accuracy in research. And so I try to really get a feel for characters by talking to people who have done similar things. When I write about ranches, I go and talk to ranch people. When I write about flying, I go talk to pilots. Uh, recently, I've been working on a series that's set in the... Uh, 1840s and 50s at the end of the, the Oregon Trail, and my character uh, spins at a spinning wheel. So I actually went and learned how to spin on a spinning wheel because I, I wanted to know what that felt like. And, you know, usually if there's something like that in my story, I will go and try it. Uh, if my character is heavy duty into uh, cooking, I, I try to learn some of the things that might have worked for that time period. And in this case, my character works with the sheep and then she cards the wool and, and spins it into yarn. So I fell in love with spinning. I thought that was really just so much fun. But I think those are the kind of things that help us as writers to really develop those characters. Is to experience it. And I can vouch for, for Tracy's um, research because I, I wrote Gems of Wisdom for um, Treasure Field Life that's coming out again as Gems of Wisdom, The Treasure of Experience. Tracy read that in her research for one of her books called House of Secrets. And so it was really interesting how that tied us together and built our friendship. I have to turn the show back over to Sandra because we're going to go into the next segment here shortly. But we're going to want to hear a little more about how we put the art into the craft of writing. 
That's right, Angela. I mean, it's such a great topic today because there's so many things to know about writing. And I'm I'm so thrilled to be and honored to be with all these great writers. I mean, people that I've enjoyed over the years. And what a thrill it is for me to meet them, you know, like Tracy Peterson. When we come back from the break, uh, we're going to talk more about this craft of writing because it really is a craft and getting authenticity, getting, you know, voices down. Angela, I love when you do your Scottish voice. I mean, it totally cracks me up. Um, we're going to talk about some of these things and how they really can enhance our writing and our writing experience for the readers. We'll be back after the break. today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's paying it forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. I was reading an article that said 16% of employers have fired employees for calling in sick with teradiddles and fake excuses. Career Builders' annual study reveals some of the most outrageous excuses workers have given when calling in sick. One employer called in because he thought he had won the lottery. Another employee said the chemicals in his turkey sandwich made him fall asleep, so he missed his shift. Now there's a fimble-famble or a poor excuse if I ever heard one. One person said a swarm of bees kept him from getting into his car. And another called in sick because they couldn't decide what to wear. Then again, some excuses are a little more inventive. Like the cat had synchronous diaphragmatic flutter or single tusk, otherwise known as the hiccups. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. guys and dolls this is sandra beck and it's coach talk radio and we're visiting today with my lovely co-host angela breidenbach and our super powerful amazing tracy peterson as our guest star a hundred books oh my gosh like i just keep fascinating on that going like a hundred books can you imagine a hundred books that's like like you know just like a hundred little soldiers standing there on your wall. I mean, how do you even keep track of how many you remember? I don't know, but we're in the presence of greatness. Um, but before we, we, we go over to greatness, we're going to, uh, Angela, you've got something you want to share with our listeners today about self-publishing uh, reports, self-publishing. What is it? 
Okay, so this is a watchdog list that comes from Ali A L L I, which is the Alliance of um, Self-Publishing Writer Authors. And if you go to this website, and I'm going to say it a couple times so you don't miss it, you will be able to avoid these predators that go after authors, and they try to just bilk you out of a whole bunch of money because you want to publish your books. Um, there's also some that do it for like advertising or they say they're going to promote your books into book fairs and they charge you exorbitant amounts. How do you know if they're a legitimate company? Well, there are a couple of websites you can do that. The first one is very well known. It's called Predators and Editors. But the second one is new to me and I actually got it by listening to Joanna Penn. She does the creative pen. And I always love to give kudos to the person who actually introduced or brought up the topic. And I was listening to her podcast and she talked about selfpublishingadvice.org. So I had to pop over there and on there, there is a watchdog list. So click on watchdog. And then what you want to do is go to the service ratings. So it's selfpublishingadvice.org, and it's Allie's self-publishing service directory, and it has a watchdog list. And they also have on there, whether it's a they're a partner member, means they're green, means they're a good company. If it's a, a bluish-purple color, depending on your computer screen, and it has a check mark, it's called recommended. And so these are services which have been vetted and align with Allie's code of standards, our partner member's green. The purpley blue is services which behave ethically and professionally with pricing and value in line with industry norms. So these are the levels that would be a good company to work with. They have a caution with a red X, services which do not currently align with one or more items in Ali's code of standards. And basically, they don't act nice toward authors, and they spend, they make you spend a lot of money. They do things that they shouldn't do that are not necessarily ethical, moral, or legal. And then there's Watchdog Advisory, which has got a red triangle and a white um, exclamation point. And it's, uh, this says, services which have given rise to consistent complaints and may have been subject to legal action. I really suggest you go look at this list. Look if, if one of the companies that you have worked with, like uh, there was one that I had worked with that is on there that is a Watchdog Advisory. I 100% agree with it. And we often don't say the names of these companies out loud because they get litigious and they and they try to sue us like crazy. And the reality is they're bad companies uh, to work with. And if you're working with one of these, that's why often um, people don't want to support the book that you've done because it's on a watchdog list, um, because it's a company that is predatory, that charges you a lot of money. And there's a lot of ways that, as a self-published author, that you can be taken advantage of. So please check out selfpublishingadvice.org and go to the watchdog rating list and look at the service providers. See if a company that you've been working with is possible. And then what I want to do is toss the ball over to Tracy and ask her if there's a lot of authors today that are just, they're coming in, they want to write a story, they have a great idea, they have the basics um, of sentence structure and grammar, but what are some things that, if you were to give a workshop, um, what are some things that you would want to teach a writer to help them build the art of the writing craft into their books? Well, two of the things that I think are most important uh, are characterization, and setting. And those things have always been really important. And I've heard a lot from my readers that those things are important to them. 
And so throughout my writing career, I've always tried to visit the places I, I write about, but I know that's not always possible. So I encourage people to get books on the places that they want to write about, to watch videos, to even call and talk to the people at the Chamber of Commerce or librarians in that area. And oftentimes that just sends you uh, to other people that know all sorts of things or have videos that you can borrow or buy or whatever. And those things are just really, really valuable. I cannot stress that enough. And then with characters, I mean, there is a, a, a total uh, lacking in some of the books I've read where the characters are undeveloped and, and one dimensional. They just seem flat. They have no real motivation for being there. They have no motivation for the things that they do. And, Thus, the story really suffers. And so I'm always encouraging those two things when I teach classes. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's a great book out called GMC, Goal, Motivation, and Conflict. But when we start talking to authors and they really don't know what we're talking about, um, how could you describe the difference between a flat character and a fleshed out character? Sure. Well, a lot of it also has to do with that wonderful thing that we talk about, show, don't tell. I mean, whoops. Yes, yes, that's it. (laughs) Show, don't tell. Uh, I'm confused. Uh, But when when your characters have more than just one dimension, you will see them off the page. And that in that, I mean things like, okay, beyond the standard of us knowing that she has red hair and blue eyes – We also know that she has a fear of heights. We know that she uh, had to quit college to take care of her sick mother. We know you just fill in all these blanks. I have a a sheet of 100 questions that I can ask about my character. And I don't always fill out all those questions, but I have them there. And they remind me of the things that help to flesh out that character. Things like where did they go to school? Who was their best friend when they were young? What are they afraid of? What do they absolutely love? If they could spend any, anywhere, anytime, any day, what would they be doing? Where would they be? Uh, what's their financial status? So forth and so on. And all of those things really lend themselves to the plot because often what I'll find is uh, when I'm teaching classes on characterization, I'll have people start filling those things out. And then I have them look at these characters that they've created and ask, okay, what situation could you put these two people in? And for instance, a lot of times people will give out, you know, um, they'll have their heroine is a teacher because that's something everybody feels like they understand and know about. Then maybe their hero is a fireman. Well, what in the world could ever happen to put those two people together? Well, there could be a fire at the school. That's the obvious. Uh, Or, Maybe a less obvious, the the fire department's having one of those wonderful pancake feeds and the teacher is there uh, to support the the local fire department. There's just all these different things that could happen. She could be barreling down the road and run into the fire truck, all sorts of things. But when you look at your character sheet and look at the details that you've already come up with, a lot of times that's going to jurisdict some of those situations. And you'll really find that it aids the plot. 
Yeah, I know you have a new book coming out, one of many, but it's it's called Shadow of Denali. Do you happen to have that or one of your other books handy? Um, because I would love it if um, we had a spot in there where you could um, maybe read us a paragraph, maybe that shows um, that shows us what the difference might be in in fleshing out a character, something that. It shows the character. And so while we're continuing to talk, I'll give you a chance to kind of look through that. But um, if you all want to see a new book by uh, Tracy Peterson, be sure to pick up a copy of Shadow of Denali. When is that coming out, Tracy? It's in the Shadow of Denali, and it comes out in January, but it might actually be released uh, just before Christmas. In the Shadow of Denali. And it's co-written with Kimberly Woodhouse. Oh, nice. Kimberly's such a lovely lady. So when you're um, when you're doing your character sheet, you have all this stuff to draw on, but it's a lot of facts. And so what, what we're looking at now is how do we turn those facts into showing on the page? Absolutely. For me, I look at the facts like we talked about, be it for the setting or the character, because the setting actually if it's done right, almost becomes a secondary character, especially in my situation of writing historicals, because the history is what flavors the story and brings it, you know, that crisp feel of a different time. And so when I do my homework, I look at the details of setting as well as uh, the time period When I look at those details, I start making uh, outlines for myself about how I can utilize each of those things to draw out my character. I look at personality uh, books and things like that to get a feel for if a person has a fear of heights, how do they normally respond in various situations? Mm -hmm. For writers, I think we have to be a little bit of psychologist, as well as, uh, you know, creative artist, uh, in my case, you know, sharing biblical application and the gospel message. We have to be a little bit of a spiritual leader kind of thing. But when you pull those things in and start looking at them, you'll start seeing how your character might respond and react to circumstances. For instance, if you have a character who's afraid of heights and that's something that she's lived with all of her life, and she's just absolutely terrified. She's not going to climb out on a ledge to rescue a, a $20 bill, but she might to rescue a baby or a mm-hmm. toddler. Uh, she might even, if say she's an animal lover and there's some poor little kitty like Muse stranded mm-hmm. out there on the ledge, you know, she might, she might, overcome her fear to do that but she's not going to just jump out there for no reason and again that goes back to the motivation what motivates your characters okay we're going to go to commercial break now we're visiting today with tracy peterson we're talking about the art of the writing craft now when we come back from the break we're going to talk a little bit more about motivation and our character but we're also going to explore what it's like to write with a partner and um tracy's new book coming out in december was co-written so i can't wait to ask her about that experience because i'm sure many of you out there are partnering up we'll be back after the break
is National Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago, and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolatl, which referred to the bitter, spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Resistance exercise is crucial to keeping your bones strong and dense. It is still important that we get sufficient amounts of calcium through eating and supplements. Children ages 9 through 18 need 1,300 milligrams of calcium a day, while adults up to 50 need 1,000 milligrams, and adults over 50 need 1,200 milligrams a day. One cup of milk or fortified orange juice has about 300 milligrams of calcium. Other good choices are yogurt, cheese, oatmeal, and salmon. When taking a pill or chew of calcium, be sure to couple it with vitamin D to help with the absorption. It is estimated that in the U.S., 55% of men and 78% of women over the age of 20 do not get enough calcium in their diets. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Angela Breidenbach, and our special guest star today is Tracy Peterson. You can find her at TracyPeterson.com, the official Tracy Peterson site. Now, she mentioned that she has a book coming out in December, and I don't know when you guys are listening to this, but she has a book coming out that she co-wrote. And I know from experience and from going to writers groups and and um, being uh, a, a former journalist that when you start out, there's a nervousness to do it on your own and so many people collaborate and I find it interesting that in your uh, at, at your stage of your career having over a hundred books under your belt that you would choose to collaborate can you explain to us why uh, you would collaborate with an author at this point and what are some tips for new authors collaborating together for the first time well I got into to the collaboration uh because I I was looking for a way to get into Bethany House Publishing, I was already published with Heartsong Presents, which was a a wonderful uh, line from Barber Publishing. But I really wanted to write longer novels. And back when I actually got my first contract, that was in 1995, they were very very uh, selective, and and it was hard to get in. And so I was at a writer's conference and met up with Judy Pella, another uh, Bethany House author. And we started talking, and I told her about a project that I had and wondered if she would ever consider co-writing with me. And so she did, and it was a wonderful experience, and we ended up writing six different books together. And ever since then, I've brought in authors that I thought really needed that break. Uh, It helps the Mm -hmm. publisher 
to uh, not have to take such a big chance when they've already got an established author with an author that's less known. And so it's just kind of a pay it forward thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting too, that um, this, I love Tracy's concept of paying it forward, but of reaching out and of lifting up the industry of writers out there. And uh, she does just a fabulous job of doing that. But I want to point out something. She said she started writing in 1995 This is, as we record, this is coming up in, it's 2016. Um, Do the math. That means that every year since then, if you were to average this out, Tracy has written about five books a year. And I'm sure there's a little leeway in some years and for others. But the reason, the point I'm making of this is that you cannot do What's the math? <laughs> I know. I like you lost me there for a minute because I'm like, okay, 2016 minus 1995. I was still doing the math when you were talking, but really, it's 20 <laughs> years, right? Yeah, it's about 20 yeah. years. 21 years. I actually got my first contract in in the uh, winter of '92, and that I was I was just writing part time, but I went full time in '95. So, um, what, how many books a year would you say you write? I average anywhere from three to five. Exactly. And that still speaks to the point. If you want to be in this industry, writing books, getting published, building a a following of readers so that you have a ministry, you cannot just write one book every 10 years. This is a business. Just saying. It's true. It's true. You do have to look at it as a business. Uh, It just, in my case, it happens to be a business I dearly love and enjoy, but that isn't always the case. Um, One of the things I like with the co-writing experience is that not only is it a uh, situation where I can help a new author learn what's expected of them, but I've found myself learning a lot too, and it's been beneficial for me. And I think that one of the things that's really nice about the co-writing situation is uh, you can bounce ideas off each other. You've got a built-in brainstorming team because you can sit there and go back and forth and try out various ideas. And I know a lot of times with new authors, that's something they're terrified of doing for fear somebody's going to think what they're thinking is silly or that they're afraid somebody's going to steal their idea. But honestly, when you can brainstorm with other writers, it's amazing what you can come up with. And it's also one of those things where if you are thinking something that's absolutely ridiculous, that will not work, then you've got people there to help you make it work in a different way. Well, and that's one thing that I just want to jump in here, Trace and, and Angela, real quick. When I was first out of, out of Northwestern, you know, I participated in some of these writing groups out here in Southern California, and I found that there was a lot of agendas going on. So I kind of developed this rule of thumb when I would take on a partner. If I felt uplifted and energized after working with that partner, I would keep them. If I felt confused, demoralized, angry, or frustrated after working with that partner, they had to go. And I didn't really have a punch list of things. It just was how I felt. Because when you're starting out, you say a lot of stupid things. At least I did. And I want somebody to correct me or help me understand why I'm wrong, not take my self-esteem to the cleaners. Absolutely. And not only is it with the craft itself, but just understanding, like Angela brought up, the uh, self-publishing angle or understanding contracts and 
what is expected of a writer from a publisher and so forth. All of those things are valuable for a, you know, a veteran author to share with a new author. And so in a co-writing situation, you'd mentioned earlier, what would I recommend for people who want to do that? First and foremost, I would make sure your styles are similar and can blend. That's one thing that has always been really critical for me. I've, before I have teamed up with anybody, I have read their writing. And I look at that and, and see if their values are the same, uh, if their style is the same, if this is, uh, you know, a story type that I am interested in writing and so forth. And that's really critical. That's the first thing. And of course, you know, for my situation, I pray very fervently over each of those kind of, um, couplings because it's really critical that you be able to get along with your co-writer. The other thing is with co-writing, we always establish a senior partner. Uh, that way there is one go-to person who will be the one to resolve conflict. And so if there's something that comes up that you absolutely cannot work through, which rarely happens, but it can, then you've got somebody who can say, look, you know, I, I'm the senior partner on this project and I think it needs to go this way. And so when I go into a relationship with another writer, we establish all these ground rules first. And that's really important. I think that's crucial because um, I've been in relationships that, and I'm just going to say business so that I don't you know, point fingers or anything, but I've been in relationships business wise where um, the other person is maybe not as, business savvy or skilled in in that arena but they think they are and so it's really important to i think you've brought up a point that i had not thought of before so i think you and this is why i love being mentored by tracy peterson (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't (laughs) establishing a senior partner and um you know that's the thing with this is this is sandra's show not mine and so I'm learning the ropes of how we are going through this um, this hosting and co-hosting from her and just taking whatever she says in because this is a whole new, you know, arena for me where co-hosting, oh, my goodness, you know, co-writing, oh, my goodness. So it's very important to understand that somebody does have to be the leader um, because this is much more like a marriage. Uh, and when you break up in a relationship like that, whether it's writing, whether it's business, whether, you know, whatever it is, um, it is as painful sometimes as, as a divorce. And you want to make sure that the person that you enter into that long-term business contract is going to be somebody that um, meshes with who you are and your abilities and also with the level of professionalism that you need. Because let me tell you, Having experienced it, it can really trip you up. Well, and from a leadership standpoint, like I just want to jump in here, like, you know, as the leader, you know, for radio and Angela, you're clearly the leader for writing. Um, One of the things I want to share for the leadership perspective and having taught leadership for many years, including for the Marine Corps, is that, you know, great leaders make a decision. That's true. But they also have patience and listen and recognize that even though someone might not be as experienced as they are, that their question or comment or correction 
has value. And that's one of the things that I've always learned uh, to do. And I've had to be learn to be patient is that when someone isn't as experienced as you let them fully form their argument, let them fully form their thought, because it's like killing babies. Some leaders kill babies before they have a chance to grow up into children. And that's the same as killing ideas before they have to go up into children. Don't just assume you know better or don't just assume because they're not as experienced as you that what they're saying is not valuable because we can really kill ideas before they've had a chance to bloom. And on the that's, side of the, of the person who is is not the, the leader, we have to be sure that we're not defensive or we're digging our heels in just because we have to get our way. You know, we have to be respectful of that person in leadership. Absolutely. And the on the flip side of that, as the leader or the senior partner or whatever, you have to be willing to learn, too. And okay. in a situation like with my writing with Kimberly Woodhouse, Kimberly was a missionary in Alaska for many years and lived in Alaska and she knows Alaska better than I ever will. Uh, so I am more than happy to yield to her when she says this won't work for this reason. So I think it goes both ways. Well, definitely collaboration takes cooperation. That's a, you know, I've taught a whole class on that because, you know, we have to recognize that we are not all knowing beings. And I think if you come in with a humble attitude and and an, an attitude of service, like that's one of the big things that I think when I lead, I lead with service first, that eliminates a lot of the problems. Absolutely. Excellent point. And I think it's important too, that when we go into this, that, um, we are open to things we haven't thought of, not just, you know, the idea of the story, but it might even be anything to how do we market? How do we do this? How do we build this? And, you know, the things that are around it as well are as important as what you're doing in the moment. Girls, I need to take us to commercial break. We are going to uh, next segment, talk about the value of reading and writing. Is that what we're doing? I can't remember. We're going to talk about the value of reading for writing and tearing apart a book to teach yourself how to write. There we are. There is cooperation and collaboration right there. Instead of letting me fall on my face, Angela supported me. And I got to tell you, Tracy was the one who wrote it in the trap or wrote it in the chat. So this is a full team effort. We'll be back with Angela Breidenbach, Sandra Beck, and Tracy Peterson of Coach Talk Radio after the break. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Living longer is a common byproduct of a healthy lifestyle, of daily exercise, and low-calorie, nutritious eating. Living a long life where you're able to be here and enjoy your loved ones is certainly an important prize. But the biggest reward for living a healthy life is greater well-being. Not only do you want to live long, you want to live well. Feeling good, having a positive outlook on life, and increased energy are worthy goals and totally within your reach. No matter where you are today, no matter what the state of your health or energy level, you can take action now to make positive steps towards living a healthy life. Exercise gives you a better viewpoint and, frankly, makes your life better. 
live an active life, and see your well-being soar. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's Marching Man Okay, ladies, listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. Now, hold on, that doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman whose sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs holds higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do the Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Too Funny for Words. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach. This is Coach Talk Radio, and our special guest star is Tracy Peterson. Now, I want to let you guys in on an inside skinny. During the break, uh, the commercial break, we were talking about kind of benchmarking, and, you know, we've got Tracy Peterson, who's got over 100 books. We've got Angela Breidenbach, who has... 13 books. We have Sandra Beck, who has one book, and it's a business book, and two books in technology. <clears throat> you know, kind of, you know, starting from scratch. And I think as women, we all kind of look at each other like, you know, are your boobs bigger than mine? Are they higher than mine? Maybe that's just Southern California. But I asked Tracy, like, how old she is. Not that I'm, I want to know how old she is, but I want to know, like, am I way behind the curve? And Tracy, I'm going to go to you because you said something great about, you know, like writing and about, you know, success. Well, basically, you're never too young or too old. There's no stopping point where you get to that place and the publisher says, I won't take you because you're over the age of 60 or you're under the age of of 20 or whatever. If a story is good, it's good. And if you have a story to tell, which I believe everybody does, it's all a matter of you taking the time and the discipline to write it and, you know, get it out there. I think it's really important, too, to recognize that some people have um, different careers. So, like, um, I I can only use me as an example because I only know my careers. But, you know, I started off as being a flight attendant supervisor for the airlines and moved in and got into um, sales. And then, you know, all through that, I was a mom. And then I entered into um, working with my husband and running the heating company, running Design Air here in Missoula, Montana. And then I became a writer. So I've, I've actually had like four careers. Well, a lot of people go through that. And one person I really admire for um, getting her first book published late in life and then continuing on with it. Um, she has over a dozen books out. Martha Rogers. She came out on, uh, I think her first book was published in her early 70s. And I was 72, 74. And she's just an absolute doll. She's still writing. She's got a dozen books out more now, possibly. And um, this is a lady I highly admire who started writing late in life because it was a time of her life that gave her the opportunity to do that. 
So, you know, I I just want to jump in there and talk about gave the opportunity, you know, for somebody like me, I'm a single mom, I got two kids, I take care of my 80 year old dad, I run a technology company, I do these internet radio shows as part of my company, but that's a full plate. And so if I can only get in, you know, two hours of writing a week or three hours or five hours, or sometimes it's a luxury and my kids go camping for the weekend and I get a full eight hour writing workday in, nothing is ideal and nothing starts out perfect. And I just want to um, you guys to share with me, what are your days like? And then we'll get into ripping apart these books and sucking out the guts. (laughs) Tracy, you go ahead. They've heard a lot from me in the last 13 weeks. Well, like I said, I get up, I get dressed. I, I act like I'm going to any other job that I have had in my life. And I come downstairs, I answer fan mail, uh, a lot of it, most of it is electronic these days, and I'll check my email and then I pull up what I've been writing. I have always written from an outline because that is just a roadmap that I need, that I love, that helps me not to drop uh, various threads through the story. So I look at the, I look at my synopsis, I read over the chapter I wrote the day before, I have a goal of writing a chapter every day and I read over what I wrote the day before and that helps me to get into the flow for today's chapter. And that's basically what I do. And I'll write that chapter. And if it takes two hours, that's great. If it takes 12, I write my chapter. You know, that's um, almost the identical process for me. And um, I, what I do is the first couple of hours of my day is usually business. I get because I run the Christian Authors Network, and I also volunteer for another nonprofit here in Montana. And so I do those things. I get those out of the way. I answer my emails, and then I start writing. But I learned um, to that I also work better off of an outline. I don't have anything except for what I call the skeleton of my story when I start. I do my what ifs as I go through. What if this, then that. What if this, then that. And I start writing the chapter on the what if question for that chapter. And then when I'm done with that, um, I go back into business mode. And there might be a day where, for instance, I had a problem with email this week. And I stayed up from 11 at night till 4 in the morning because I had super important emails that were coming with edits, with book covers, and with contracts that I could not have my email account bounce. So I had to correct the problem that happened in an upgrade with email. So there was even more business. I could be at my desk anywhere from a regular eight hours, which is very unusual. It's more normal for me to be there um, 10, 12, 14 hours with breaks for meals. You know, that's that's just my life right now because that's my life. Um, but I want to I want to ask you too, Tracy. As we we talked about getting ready for this show, we talked about the idea of reading the value of reading and tearing apart books so that we can teach ourselves how to write. Um, tell me how you do that. Well, actually, it's a workshop that I've taught before, and I always encourage people, if you can't get to conferences and you don't have the kind of money it takes to hire somebody to come alongside and teach you these things, this is a great way you can teach yourself. I recommend people get bestsellers just because that's what's being talked about. That's what's out there. So whether you get a Christian bestseller book or one off the New York Times, Get a book, read it for pleasure, then start over. And this will teach you not only how to 
character, uh, build characters and setting. It'll teach you about plotting. It'll teach you about outlining so that you'll have a synopsis to work from. All of these things can be had in this very simple way of teaching yourself. And so I encourage people, sit down with that book. Start with the first chapter. Write out a list of the characters. Write a list of what their characterization issues are. Um, Look at the setting. Write down what the setting is. Write the details of that setting. What has the author felt what you know was most important to tell you in that first chapter? Look at all of those things and then sum up in your own way a paragraph or a couple of lines about what that first chapter contained. And you'll be amazed if you you start through the story like this, you'll all of a sudden realize you keep building on that. You keep going back to things that you learn about the characters as you read or the setting or the plot. You'll learn to recognize subplots. And for me, it really it was one thing that helped me learn to plot better. I started looking at at authors who did this and who had several subplots going on that seemed like they weren't related at all. In particular, Tom Clancy. I love the way he writes. He'll have 15 different things going on at once and none of them seem to, to even come together. And at the end, it all comes together and creates this one overall plot. And I love that. So I know it works, and it's something that's really simple to do. It's even more fun if you can do it with several other writers. You can both read the same, you know, all of you read the same book, make your list, and then come together and discuss that. And you'll be amazed. People will see one thing, and it'll be there for everybody, but you won't have picked up on it. Or you will have picked up on something that they didn't. And it's just a really simple way to help yourself learn the craft of writing. I love that idea of getting together with other writers because you talk about book clubs, but really when we get together in critique groups, we're usually, you know, critiquing each other's work. Some people get really scared of that because it tears apart or it makes you feel less than, or you start to personally feel less than because somebody else is better than you. And you start doing that silly comparison thing that we need to and get away from. But when we come together with a bestseller, in our own writer's book club type of thing. This is a brilliant idea, Tracy. Then you have a way of talking about something third party that takes that heavy level of personalization out of it while you're learning the concept. It really does. And if you were to do it in the most simple way possible, um, I'd even suggest the first time you meet, you meet with a color-coded book. You buy that book. So that writer is able to continue buying milk. But, hey, you buy that book because you, you're going to tear that book apart, literally. And when you yeah. do it, you color code the setting. You color code the protagonist. You color code the love interest or the antagonist or all of the above. You color code it with highlighters. That's Absolutely. your meeting. You can say, now let's let's look at all the setting stuff. That's a great way to compare did you did you miss something in this that somebody else caught? Um, because then you have you have it right there. And you're like, oh my gosh! And it starts to just blossom for you. Sorry, left you hanging there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just nope. sitting here taking notes because what a brilliant idea, you know. And you can see like the cadence of dialogue. You can there's so much you can see when you color code exactly. everything. Yes, let's talk That's cadence. The thing. Really- 
Tracy, I need you to talk about cadence. Um, how do you find the cadence of a character voice? Um, how do you define cadence in your stories as you go, or refine, I should say? That's an important concept. It is an important concept, uh, and I think that depends totally on the audience you're writing to, for one thing. It also depends on the like with my situation, the time period, because all of those things are going to figure into how a person speaks and what is acceptable language, what's not. Uh, you might have a situation in the uh, late 1800s where, you know, words weren't used at all. So, you know, like when you, you're writing a story about the Civil War, if you say somebody went online, they went online to fight the battle. They're in the field. They didn't go on the computer. And so, you know, all of those things are so critical. One of the things, one of my biggest pet peeves is to pick up a historical and it reads like a contemporary book with period clothing and that's it. And Mm -hmm. so the cadence, the colloquialisms, the accents or dialects, uh, dialogue, you know, if you if you want to have we were talking about earlier, your Scottish um character accents, you know, that kind of thing. And all of those things are critical to that cadence. But I really encourage writers, first and foremost, one of the biggest things that you're taught as a writer is to write what you know. And so listen to the people who talk around you. That will give you a real strong feel for what is natural and what's not. Yeah, the stiltedness of it. I I had an editor, I've had a couple of editors actually go through my work and in dialogue, they tried to make it perfect grammar. And boy, All right. I got to thank us, girls. Uh, thank you, Angela Breidenbach. Thank you, Tracy Peterson. This is Sandra Beck for Coach Talk Radio. Come back next week. We're going to give you another jam-packed episode. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.